It is the 11 Dubcast. I am Johnny. He is Andy. We're recording this on Sunday night. I'm still basking in the afterglow of what appears to be confirmation that the Ohio State men's basketball team has turned it around. They did so in emphatic fashion against the University of Michigan Wolverines, winning by a bajillion points or more like, I think, 14, something like that. Uh, But the point is, is that you had two Big Ten teams that had been performing pretty well going into this game. It was state. It was a statement game for both teams. Uh, it was something where they were going to want to prove themselves the NCAA committee and, and hopefully get themselves ranked a little bit higher. Maybe even start committing for that or uh, competing for that first round bye in the Big Ten tournament. And Ohio State, without Kyle Young and you know basically just relying on their starters, kind of handled business through a barrage of threes. And it was uh, Andy. It was a fun ass game to watch i enjoyed this more than maybe almost any other game i mean there's a couple other games obviously towards the beginning of the season are pretty fun but this is probably the most fun i've had watching ohio state men's basketball in a while this is like this is a great game one of the things that really jumped out at me as i was watching the game uh and then later so the the last probably five minutes of the game i listened to on the radio and uh, big daddy paul keels uh makes the comment on how loud the Schottenstein Center was, and he made some reference to Ohio State's, um, you know, incredible record when it's a sellout at the shot. And, and it kind of made me think, you know, we make fun of the Schottenstein Center for being this, you know, highly sanitized kind of sterile, terrible environment for basketball. But when when that thing's filled to the brims, um, filled to the brim, just has one brim, when it's filled <laughs> to the brim, you know, it's a pretty great environment. And uh, I think it was uh, one of the after the Maryland games, one of the Maryland beat writers referred to it as a hostile environment. And I had, you know, kind of a witty tweet uh, about it being the first time in history anybody had ever called the shot a, a hostile environment. But what I got to thinking about, and you just hit the nail on the head, th- this has become a fun team to watch. Yeah. Beating, beating Michigan, um, you know, in, in the hind parts with a two before, like Foghorn Leghorn and the old Hound Dog, <laughs> like that, that will never get old. And the fact that this was a sweep, of the season you know you went to ann arbor and took away their milkshake and you came back home and you laid down the law hey that's what it's all about yeah the fact that they shot the lights out from behind the arc i think is really the tale of this team for the season when they're hot they're darn difficult to beat because they play such great defense you know when they've been cold like the entire month of january bad things happen (laughs) Uh, i mean that's just that's what this team's identity is did you post? Were you the one who posted the Kim Palm stat, uh, where they were overall um, in Slack? Where it was like, did you post that stat? I, I didn't, but I jumped on it. And I've got it. I've got it pulled up here. So if you're looking at, um, and I, I didn't catch if this was Kim Palm or or where this was. I think it must have been Kim Palm. But the uh, adjusted efficiency. All right. So adjusted efficiency and you look at the rankings. So like currently in February, it's like Kansas, Michigan was number two in February yep. games, uh, Creighton, Gonzaga, Houston, Baylor, Texas tech, Ohio state's currently eighth. This was before the Michigan game in adjusted efficiency. All right. Month of November, number one in the country, Ohio state, December seventh in the country, Ohio state, February eighth in the country, Ohio state. You see a pattern here. One of the top 10 most efficient teams in the country, the month of January, 80, third in the country <laughs> in adjusted efficiency and you go and you look like oh yeah you know so now the thing about stats is you look and say okay were they you know was the fact that they were so inefficient the reason they lost all those games or is just that efficiency stat reflecting how bad they were at shooting the ball and doing all of those other things that they were bad at in january because there were several things that were bad at in january but man it's like you you take the month of january out of the mix and we've been talking about like this is one of the best teams ever you know they're just they're making things happen. Uh, that that stretch of Big Ten conference play to open the year. Um, yeah, I, I think it was a growing experience for them. You know, and that's what you have to look at and say. Okay, they've come through that, and are maybe pretty pretty well poised to have a good conference tournament. Well, I think they found their shot, and and that's I mean obviously evident from the fact that they shot over fifty percent from three against Michigan. But it's just in that's general. Amazing. They're, well, they're getting open. They're finding their shot. They're figuring out what they need to do to actually be productive on a regular basis. So just getting hot and then hoping, you know, things go in. There were probably like four or five bank shot threes uh, in this game, which is hilarious. But, 
you know, it, it really is one of those things where you've got to make sure that your offensive efficient efficiency is is functioning. And there were not you did not see a huge rotation of guys um, against Michigan, but it didn't matter because you've got a team that's shooting close to 50 percent. You've got guys like, you know, Dwayne Washington will have his share of, of boneheaded plays and just do a lot of really dumb things. But when you're going five for seven from three and six of 14 overall, like you're going to you're doing all right. Right. You're doing something that you need to be doing to make sure that you can contribute. Um, I, to me, I was just a impressed by the fact that they were fearless in taking a lot of these shots. They did not look for the perfect shot. They just trusted that it was going to go in. They were aggressive going to the basket when they needed to. And we've talked about this before. The defense of this team is what I think establishes a tone for everything else that happens in the game. You basically had one, well, you could argue two dudes, I guess, on uh, on Michigan who were getting things done for them offensively. Uh, you know, Wagner was, was really good, and he continues to be, you know, a pretty significant three-point threat. And Simpson had a, a pretty good game. But overall, you're looking at a team that I think just ha- was locked down by Ohio State playing opportunistic defense and really just killing whatever momentum they could have had, right? Like there, there were times when Michigan, they would have the lead and it looked like they could have established something, but Ohio State was able to make something happen defensively, poke the ball away. Dwayne, you know, Dwayne poking the ball away. And even though I, that sequence, I don't think resulted in a basket, it, it, it stops things. And when you have a team that's able to do that, you don't allow your opponents to go on these big, crazy runs that can put you away. And that's honestly, I think what ended up, winning this game for Ohio state. They went on like a huge run towards the end, but I feel like this game was over halfway through the second half because I don't think Michigan had any chance to get any momentum going. That was huge because they came out of the, they came out of the half and Michigan was kind of hot there early and Ohio state wasn't, you know, Ohio state was up by eight at one point. I don't know, let's say four minutes left to play in the first half and Michigan, you know, kind of pulls back a little tighter than that going into the locker room. They come out of the half and they retake the lead pretty early on that was just by a bucket or so but but there was a point there where it felt like that could have easily broken Michigan's way and you know you you're right it was keeping uh the defense in check you know keeping Michigan from going on a run some timely play and that confidence you know it wasn't just in taking those three-point shots but but the team never got rattled um, now, okay, some of it, maybe you'd say, okay, friendly home environment. So they, they were feeling the energy that uh, the packed house brought, but that they had the confidence to step up and take those shots because they knew they could handle whatever Michigan was going to throw on, throw at them right. on the other end of the floor. I mean, it all just kind of makes a pretty, a pretty, pretty picture when it all comes together like that. Because if you look at the stat lines, you know, Ohio State, um, better better on the boards marginally, uh, marginally better in terms of turnovers. Uh, but beyond that, you know, the three-point shooting percentage was the story of the game. You know, that was, that was the big difference maker was how well Ohio State shot and conversely, how poorly Michigan shot from, from distance that made yeah. the difference in the ballgame, especially late. Yeah, their their shooting overall wasn't great, but as you mentioned, their three point shooting was was pretty dismal. Uh, and Ohio State was hitting their their you know free throws. I mean, if you can go twelve or thirteen, that that's going to be that's going to help you out pretty pretty well uh, in a game that is played pretty tight and and you're not seeing a ton of fouls, especially you know on Ohio State's end. So you know that's going to help you out enormously. One of my favorite stats is the fact that Luther Muhammad hasn't missed a free throw since literally December, which is it's amazing. Which is ludicrous. I think he finished. I think he finished the game on a twenty-six free throw streak at this point, uh, which is just completely insane. Um, so look, they've hit the magic barrier. They're at twenty wins, right? Which is you know where I think people hoped that they would be. I just don't know that anyone uh, believed that they would get there at this point already, um, especially with two games left to go. You've got Illinois coming up. I mean, which is you look at these three teams. You've got Illinois, Ohio State. And then Ohio State plays Michigan State. These teams are all sitting at 20 and 9. Uh, they're all kind of, I think, in similar places in terms of how their season is going. But I, I look, with the way Ohio State has performed the last couple of games, 
I don't know, man. I think they've got a chance to take those two. I, I think they get Illinois, and who, who knows? They might be able to pull off uh, what would probably be an, an upset against Michigan State. I, I'm feeling pretty confident right now. I, I, I'm, I'm not a believer this is a Final Four team, but I'm a believer this is a dangerous team, and they've figured something out in the past four or five games here. Yeah, it's one of those times where you go back on the 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 cliche, the adage that this is a team nobody wants to draw on their bracket, right? And, and you, you think, hey, you know what? That may actually apply here because if they're if they're shooting the lights out like they were today uh, from from downtown, then you know that's that's just tough to deal with. Uh, I feel good about that game Thursday night. Yep, I'm with you there, particularly because you're playing Illinois at home, and that'll be another one. You know, I still don't know what to think about this Michigan State game. I, I'm never one to bet against tournament Tom. Uh, Izzo. <laughs> sure. That, that dude just, you know, he is what he is. But I, but I feel a lot better about that Illinois game now than I would have, you know, when you and I were having this conversation a month ago. Right. I just feel, but it, it's, it's wild. It's, you, you said it. All these teams that are 20 and 9, like one, two, three, four teams in the Big Ten that are 20 and 9 overall. Uh, it's, I mean, they're just really tight. From you know Maryland on Mac, you know half a dozen teams that are are pretty good ball clubs. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how many teams actually do get into the tournament um, based on uh, the Big Ten's. Per- I guess the perception of the Big Ten and how good it is and things like that. And if people really do buy into the fact that top to bottom, this is the best conference. People are talking about you know the Big Ten getting a record number of teams in March Madness. I. I'm one of those guys who I think this is how I think the committee sees that because I'm, I'm sure they're aware of that. I'm sure they're aware of that expectation and that narrative. And sometimes I think when committees look at that and they go, okay, do we really want to basically invest this much in a conference? They tend to back off a little bit. So I don't know that oh, that the Big Ten is going to get that many teams in. I don't think they're going to set that record. I don't think they're going to get 10. Um, but I still think top to bottom, this is just a really, really difficult conference to win in. And you've got to get those home wins. <laughs> so that's one mm-hmm. reason that I think I was really relieved about this. Obviously, it was a fun as hell game to watch. And then yeah, the added right. aspect of beating Michigan. And I was thinking, you know, anytime Ohio State plays Michigan, they got to show the replay of Evan Turner in 2010, right? Like just hitting that buzzer, hitting that basically half court or, you know, three-fourths court. Um I take that back. Yeah, two and a half, two and a half fifths court <laughs> shot uh, to beat Michigan um, uh, March of 2010. That that is one of my all time favorite endings to any basketball game ever. Um, and also, it's one of my favorite because it was such a dumb play on Michigan's part. If you go back and watch that, they just did not defend Ohio State at all, <laughs> and just said, you know what, just get let him let let Evan Turner take a shot. It's fine. Um, and that's essentially what happened, and they made him pay. So anytime you can kind of reflect on that and enjoy that a little bit, um, that's you know, it's always a bonus. I enjoy that quite a bit. I got a I got a kick out of this. Uh, uh, shout out to uh, Tom Orr, one of the other writers on the the beat from one of the other media outlets out there covering the Buckeyes. Put put this out on Twitter. I thought this was fun. So Coach Tressel made his famous 310-day speech at the halftime of the Ohio State-Michigan basketball game the year he was hired, right? Yep. And since that time, this is so great, since that time, Michigan's a combined 2-23 and in Columbus in football and basketball. <laughs> he Two put a curse on him, he's a witch. He's a witch. I, I, I mean, let me, let me again, you know, reiterate why I have pledged my undying loyalty to the distinguished senator from Youngstown. I mean, that's just, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's like that's a, you know, a two-decade period where Michigan hasn't been worth a plug nickel in football and basketball, and Ohio State's taking it to them. Oh, just makes me happy. Yeah, that's pretty fantastic. And hopefully, you were talking about bracketology uh, before I forget it. So yeah. Jerry Palm and Joe Lenardi both have Ohio State as a six seed in the Big Dance. That was that was um, heading into the weekend. So to be curious to see how that changes, if at all you know, after the weekend's games. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I think everybody'd be pretty happy with a six seed. Uh, it's not a, that's not a, not a bad place to be compared to where we thought this team was just a month ago. Right. I think they can get up to a five or even maybe a four. If they, I don't know that the big 10 tournament's going to make a huge difference in anything. I think people see these conference tournaments as kind of just a crapshoot a lot of the time, but I will say that if they take out Illinois and Michigan state, 
I think that's going to do a lot for them. And people will start to remember that, you know, Ohio state was considered to be this lock for the final four, just a few scant months ago. And when they see, if they see Ohio state closing it out by beating Illinois and then Michigan state on the road, that to me will bump them up quite a bit in a lot of people's eyes. And I think that's going to, that will do wonders for their ranking. So I'm, I'm curious to see how it'll work out, but honestly they could drop both of those and still probably not fall further than a, maybe a seven or eight seed. So yeah. Either way, they're sitting, I think, fairly pretty when it comes to seeding. And hopefully the brackets work out to the point where they can they can make some noise and do some damage. Because, look, there is not a dominant team in college basketball right now. I mean, you can look at Kansas, you can look at some of these other teams. But I don't see a situation where Ohio State would match up with, I don't know, you know, a 5, 6, 7, 8 seed, whatever, and have to be afraid of a lot of teams, honestly. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't see that in college basketball right now. Um, so this is an opportunity. This is a really big opportunity for, as you said, a team that we kind of thought was dead in the water just a month or so ago. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to see how it's going to play out and we're almost there. We're almost, we're almost there. And we'll definitely continue talking about it as we get closer. I want to ask you though, cause we're almost to another big 10 wrestling or excuse me, big 10 tournament. I just spoiled it. I just spoiled <laughs> the surprise, but I want to know, Andy, we've got the big 10 wrestling tournament. Coming up on Saturday, what do we need to look out for? This is gonna this is gonna be on TV. We got to watch it. We got to pay attention. It's gonna be fun as hell. It always is. What are the biggest like three or four things that Ohio State fans need to really lock in and pay attention to? Yeah, so this is gonna be this is gonna be a great tournament uh, for the first time in five years. You know, Iowa will be favored to win the Big Ten tournament, and and they should, frankly, win it very handily. This is the best team that the Hawkeyes have had for a decade uh, since their last national um, championship in, in 2010. It's a really, really good ball club. After that, ball club? I guess you can't say that about a wrestling <laughs> team. It's a really good wrestling way. team. Really good wrestling team. Uh, beyond that, it, things get really interesting. Um, Penn State and Ohio State you know, will be, will be fighting for second and third place, not just in the conference, but at the NCAA tournament a couple weeks later in Minneapolis. So the big storylines are to see how well Ohio State's guys fare in, in tournament uh, action. It's been said for several years that Ohio State's a much better tournament team than it is a dual meet team. And and you saw Ohio State drop some dual meets this year. The Virginia Tech one would be one that you wouldn't have expected them to lose. Um, the Iowa duel, you know, they, Iowa was heavily favored at home. Penn State was a duel that Ohio State could have won. Um, the, the duel loss there was really mostly a factor of Nick Lee upsetting Luke Pletcher, Luke Pletcher at 141 pounds. So right. the biggest storyline to me is going to be following that rematch. You will expect um, Nick Lee to come in as the number one seed, Luke Pletcher to come in as the number two seed. And can Pletcher avenge that loss to Nick Lee? I, I, I tend to believe that he can because I think Luke Pletcher is he's the steady Eddie guy. You can't shake him. One of my favorite wrestlers to watch this season because he's made a huge leap in terms of his attack rate and his overall aggressive approach to matches. He was one of these guys that for, you know, two, three years, especially with the two years he wrestled 133 pounds, was known for a guy that you couldn't take down, but he wasn't going to shoot a ton at you either. And so he'd win these kind of five, four decisions or maybe a three, five decision where he, he'd make you sweat. He was going to win most of them. I mean, he's never finished worse than I think fourth at the NCAA tournament. So he didn't lose a ton of matches, but, you were going to have to sweat that he wouldn't this year. That's not the case. He's been out there, um, you know, putting bonus points on guys. He's won something like 65% of his matches this season with bonus points attached. So he's got almost a major decision um, against ranked wrestlers this season, but Nick Lee at Penn state is the number one guy in the country for a reason. And that's because he beat Pletcher who had been the number right. one guy since literally the <laughs> second week of the season. That that's a huge one for me. Um, the other one that'll be interesting will be just at 149 pounds, where Ohio State's Sammy Sasso is ranked number one in the country, and Iowa's Pat Lugo is second. So Sammy went to Iowa and was one of three matches that the Buckeyes won in Carver Hawkeye Arena at the dual meet, and he upset Pat Lugo to take Lugo uh, out of the number one spot and to move into that spot himself. Sasso, as a redshirt freshman, is a legitimate contender for the NCAA title, and how he wrestles against um, guys like Pat Lugo, Brayton Lee, guys that he's beaten already this season 
but now has to face again for a second or third time, um, you know, that's, that's going to be a big deal. Buckeyes have solidified their lineup at 125 and 157. So you'll have Malik Heinzelman at 25 and Elijah Cleary at 57. Those are guys that um, had been battling for their spots, you know, late in the season. There was a chance we'd see Quinn Kenner at 57. There's a chance maybe we'd see Dylan Kuntz at uh, 25. But the guys who were starters at the beginning of the year will get the nod um, at the Rutgers Athletic Center this weekend. So be curious to see if they can put points on the board for Ohio state because Ohio state will need points from every guy on the roster. If they're going to have a shot to move from third up into second, pretty good chance that they're going to get the team trophy at third place, but there's an outside chance that they could, you know, steal some points. Uh, you know, if Penn state, um, it doesn't just catch a house of fire and start bonusing everybody like they tend to do, you know, then maybe it gets interesting, but, um, uh, yeah, this will be a good preview for the NCAA tournament for sure. So we've talked we've talked a lot about um, you know Ohio State and, and what they do individually matching up. Is there anybody in the wider Big Ten though that's really fun to watch? That people you know if you're sitting down, you're watching the you know tournament and you're watching the matchups and whatnot. Is there anybody that you know Ohio State fans may not be super aware of? They're like, okay, I got to follow this guy too because he's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, in the yeah, it, it, to- totally, absolutely. Some of my favorite wrestlers to watch are are guys for other Big Ten teams, and it's it's no stretch to say. Um, the Big Ten is is the conference in wrestling, right? Uh, and so you you know the number one guys at, at almost every weight class um, are at Big Ten schools: Iowa, Penn State, um, and Ohio State being the preeminent. But but you also have guys at at Minnesota and, and Nebraska. So some that I would see uh, Spencer Lee at 125 pounds from Iowa, I think is just he's a lot of fun to watch. Um, I love the fact that he runs out to the arena to the Pokemon theme song. I mean, you, you know the kid has got a lot of horsepower to have uh, the cojones to use that as his walkout music. He wants and, to be the very best. He, he and, and he is, and he is. Uh, I mean, one of the one of the most electrifying lightweights you've seen in a long time at, at 133 pounds. So you know, there's a there there are about three guys at the top of 133 that you know I could see that class going any which way. Seth Gross of Wisconsin. Um, is a new transfer from the Badgers. He came in from South Dakota State University. He's a he's a national title type guy. But Roman Bravo Young at Penn State and Austin DeSanto at Iowa. There was a lot of intrigue in the dual meet between Penn State and the Hawkeyes because um, Bravo Young had DeSanto in Carver Hawkeye Arena in what looked to be a cradle, and and DeSanto um, was injured in a in a move that where it looked like Bravo Young might get the fall. And mm. DeSanto um, injury defaulted out of the match. And there was some controversy there because Penn State fans uh, did not believe that DeSanto was really injured and that it was one of those. Now, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that or even intimate that I think that's the case. But that was the controversy, you know, and, and you right. and I both know Penn State fans have never. Um, never bought into conspiracy theories uh, <laughs> you know, without, without good reason to do so. Sure, those, of course not. Those are three guys. I mean, the three guys at the top of that class are all really fun to watch, you know, super aggressive, high attack rate guys. You know, I already mentioned um, Nick Lee at, at, at 141 pounds. He's a guy I really like. You know, the, the middleweights, uh, you know, there are some really strong guys at um, at 65. 157-pound class is, you know, you take what you get. 65 is pretty deep, though one of the deeper um, classes in, in the country. Uh, and then, of course, the other guy that I think is really cool is, is 197 pounds, Colin Moore. He's Ohio State's guy. Right. So I'm going back to the well here, but he's one that I think has been super dominant this season. And it just feels like it's his year to go go out there and get a title in his senior year. So it'll be I, fun to watch him. I will say I love watching every one of Colin Moore's matches. I, I just – the way he he wrestles and, and just the style with which he does it, I think is just incredibly fun to to check out and watch. And the, the thing I'll say is, and I've thought about this because one of the things that I love about wrestling and I also love about, um, you know, football is that you can have people of just incredibly different body types, shapes, sizes, all that, and still contribute to the overall team, uh, just kind of doing their own thing. And it, everybody's got their own favorite to watch and to check out. And, you know, the heavyweights are all, always a blast to watch because it's just like two bears, you know, trying to wrestle each other. And <laughs> lightweight's completely different, but it's just, it's also equally fun to watch. And so it, the great thing about watching these tournaments is that you can kind of pick and choose what style you enjoy the most. And uh, Colin Moore is just right up my alley. I just I love the physicality and how that that plays out. 
Uh, let me ask you this before we move on to the next thing. If you, so you're, you've got, you know, a spot on the wrestling team. What's your run out music? What are you, what are they playing in the background as you come out for your match? Well, I, I've said all year, I've been, I've been a, a, a total stand for Luke Pletcher's walkout music all season long. He comes out uh, every, every home meet to, uh, Hank Williams Jr.'s family tradition, okay. and and I just nice. like that dude's that that dude's walkout music is uh, undefeated. But I would probably go with Johnny Cash, Folsom Prison Blues, because you know just about <laughs> the time that uh, he says, you know, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Yeah, you know, taking the mat. You've been out to the tunnel and you hit the mat at about that time. That's eh, great. Anything by Metallica probably works. You know, at the opposite end of the spectrum. But I'm sure, a country yeah. boy at heart, so. Gotta That's go with good. the man in black. Oh my god, Folsom Frit, that would be really good. Um, I would say <laughs> there's a Simpsons episode where Homer becomes a boxer, and uh there are two there are two parts of the episode that I really enjoy the most. And the first one's when Mo is telling him to envision beating uh Dredrick Tatum, which is their Mike Tyson like parody. <laughs> And Homer's, uh, you see Homer's thoughts, and it's like, Dreddick Taman has been felled by a congenital heart defect moments before <laughs> stepping into the ring. <laughs> and then, so that kind of puts you in the mentality. And then when Homer's about to actually fight the dude, uh, his intro music is, why can't we be friends? There you go. <laughs> Which is probably, that probably is that's what perfect. mine would be as well. I think that's the mentality that I would come out with, because I'm well, not a fighter. And one, one of the stories that I should do, and and maybe uh, maybe this will be great uh, off-season fodder, but I've often wondered like how they pick their walkout music. So maybe that's what I'll do is I'll pull the uh, that would be fun uh, as hell. Team and ask you like, why, why did you pick uh, your walkout music? Because there are some really fun choices on the team. There there uh, there are a few good ones, yeah, for sure. And you need, and then you need to like low key just like start pushing Johnny Cash on everyone and just see what they do about it and see if they get pissed. Um, because that's that's an excellent choice. I'm, I'm gonna get guy. 10 guys to go Johnny Cash, you know, just all all 10. Yeah, no, no, just the tennis. entire discography, just every just rotate it throughout <laughs> the entire year. I think that'd be sick. Um, it's better than Seven Nation Army for the thousandth time. So I, I appreciate that. Uh all right, so that's that's the, that's coming up. Definitely be aware of that. Definitely pay attention. It's gonna be a whole barrel of monkeys. I'm really excited about it. Um, the other thing that I want to touch on briefly is the NFL combine that's going on. Have you been paying much attention to the combine, Andy? Uh, only in that I follow everything 11 warriors produces content wise, right. uh, but I have not, I've never been one to sit in front of the television and watch the combine. So it's always like Twitter clips of guys doing obscene things athletically, um, or reading articles on 11 warriors that tends to be my my combine scouting. I, I got to say the thing that just flipped my lid, uh, Devon Hamilton topping all defensive linemen with 33 no, reps sick. on the bench. I'm yeah. Like, you know, that's always, because those are those things I cannot envision myself running a four, four forty. So, you know, the, <laughs> the running and the cone drills and some of those kinds of things, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's cool. But everybody has gotten, you know, on a bench and said, okay, how many, how many reps can I just go crazy on? So sure. seeing a guy, you know, take it out of the rack and just knock out 33 reps, you know, my hat's off to that. Cause that dude's a dude. Andy, I, I can't do this anymore <laughs> at all. But a couple of years ago I was like bench. I was like, I'm doing it. I'm going to do the best I can in this damn thing. I'm going to try my best. I want to get that bench as high as I possibly can. And I repped my, my highest, my max, my one rep max was 2.30, and I thought I was going to die after that. And I watched well, – I can't remember the dude's name, but I watched the one of those punters go out there and, like, nail out 23 reps at 2.25. I, it's, that is hilarious to me. And I to me, like, I just encourage people who don't work out a ton or don't get out – just just go and bench, like, 100 and just see what that feels like and do that maybe 10 times right yeah try 15 times and now imagine doubling that plus 25 and then do that like multiple dozens of times it is insane the strength and power that these dudes have and and again i used to be a huge i used to be a huge combine junkie i would watch every drill that every ohio state player participated in i watch all the quarterbacks i was interested in you know all that junk 
but I got to tell you, I, I've kind of soured on it a little bit because I just don't really see the point as much as I used to. But I still have this thrill when I see the ridiculous feats that some of these players are able to achieve, either on the bench press or on the high jump or the long jump. I don't care about the shuttle and stuff like that anymore, but just the, the basic Olympic type skills just blow my mind at how elite these athletes are. Cause they're, it's just, it's rarefied air. These people are, are wild. Um, the one thing I do want to say about that before we move on to ask us anything, were you surprised at some of the 40 times for uh, the Ohio state, you know, defensive backs and some of these other guys who are running? Cause I'm a little, I'm not shocked. I knew they weren't going to run like four twos and four threes, maybe four fives, not exactly what I expected. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sitting here as we're talking about some of these times in Slack and it's like, how did Ohio State do so well defensively with so many right. slow defensive backs? Right. And of course, you know, with the caveat that, um, you know, four, four, six uh, is still faster than most humans will ever contemplate running, but, but slow for, you know, a, a early round draft pick. And so to the point where I'm sitting here thinking, like, is there some conspiracy against Ohio State guys running this thing? Because how right. is it that they're all, you know, underperforming our expectations? Because we're, you know, sitting here thinking, oh, this dude will do a for this, this do a for that. And then, you know, they're consistently seem like they were a 10th or 1500th uh, off whatever that guess was. So some of that surprised me a little bit. Um, yeah, especially I think. I think we kind of thought maybe there was a chance Jeff Okuda would would hit a four four or even a, a sub four four, uh, so his was probably the one that hit me as being slower than I expected, just because he seems like he's so fast. I think he finished right. what a four four eight something like that, um, yeah. you know, which is which is fast, but you know, twelfth fastest among the twenty eight cornerbacks who ran. So I mean, it's it's fine, you know, that's not going to kill him by any stretch because he certainly got the tape to back up why you should draft him <laughs> very right. very high uh damon arnett was the one that i thought would have been a lot faster than his was and jordan fuller's wasn't wasn't great at all yeah jordan uh, fuller's jordan fuller's was bad just straight bad yeah, um, i think uh i think dan hope said it's uh like the third slowest among all defensive backs so yeah not well great. even wide receivers i mean kj hill at four six you know like <laughs> You know, Mac had a four, uh, what four five nine. Ben yeah, and, and he's a, a guy that seven. needed to be, I think, faster to to improve his stock. Right, and and the thing is that all of these guys, particularly Austin Mac, I I think they can contribute in the NFL and still have really good careers. And and famously, you know, you know, Jerry Rice did not have a great forty time. The guy was not blazing by any stretch of the imagination, his combine. But I guess my point is, is that it's interesting that we build these guys up and hype, hype them up. And a lot of times it is about scheme and coaching and putting a player in the right position rather than just complete raw talent. Everybody thinks that, you know, you're going to run a four, two because you see these guys on the field every Saturday and they're kicking ass and they're doing great things. And then they get the combine. And they're like, Oh, well maybe they're not these insane world you know, beating kind of athletes. They're amazing athletes. Obviously they're elite, but compared to some of these other players, they're not like blowing people's minds. So maybe, like I said, maybe it is about coaching and preparation and training and all that other stuff that goes into it. And honestly, to me, it's even more impressive that they do that kind of stuff and, and play as well as they do because they have accomplished those things through, you know, the years that they spent at Ohio state. So I think that's pretty awesome. Um, I also think it's really smart on the part of J.K. Dobbins and Chase Young to basically just kind of chill on the whole thing. <laughs> well, Which... So there's, I mean, there's a case to be made. This is kind of like the discussion, you know, that's had every bowl season about whether or not guys who are not in a playoff bowl, but you already know you're going to be a first round pick, do you play in a bowl game or not? I mean, to me, this is an even this is an even easier decision. Like, I would feel bad as a player not playing in my team's bowl game sure like that would that would bother me it would not in any way shape or form if i thought i was a lock to be the first or second pick overall to be like uh eh, i'm good i i don't need <laughs> I, I don't need to be you know ogled poked and prodded uh for the amusement of watchers on the nfl network i'm okay right I, like i to me that's super smart business because you have everything to lose and nothing to gain I was actually surprised that JK even decided to do the bench, frankly. I mean, you tear a peck, like that's you're screwed. You know yeah. what I mean? I was I was surprised he even went that far. 
Um, but it's people just they pick apart every single tiny aspect of this stuff. And if you're already going to be, as in Chase Young, you know, a top two or three pick, what? Don't give people ammunition. Like, don't don't even bother. Just say, look, I'm showing up. You can take my measurements. Deuces, I'm out. And uh, and, the, and the reality is, I mean, the tape speaks for itself, you know. So to to, right. to borrow a line from Jeff Akuto, who had the best, uh, I think, response to uh, <laughs> reporters asking super dumb questions. You know, <laughs> yeah, we need to talk about like, that actually. Uh, you know, go back and cut the tape on that. <laughs> you know, that's the yeah, that's the thing because these guys have you know plenty of tape. How does that even happen? How does a question like that, where somebody comes at a guy who had no holds, no pass interferences the entire season, that's why he's considered to be a top 10 pick. How do you even get to the point where you ask that dude a question about his quote unquote sloppy play? I don't even, I don't understand that. I I asked a stupid question once this, this season. So, you know, pretty much every week, um, Ohio state will have media availability for the wrestling team. Uh, you know, I'll go to, um, the Jennings family wrestling facility and, and typically the, the setup is you'll have coach Ryan, um, for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and, and then they'll bring out two or three of the wrestlers and generally they rotate through if there's a particular big match, um, you know, somebody's facing a top five guy, you know, that person will get the nod. But in a lot of weeks, there's not an obvious storyline, you know, so they'll just bring, hey, here's a starter that we haven't talked to this season. And so they'll they'll bring him out. And so I had one where Ethan Smith had a big match. I don't even remember who he was wrestling, but I had totally misread the media guide. And I was convinced that he'd wrestled this guy two or three times. And it was the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> And so I said, now you've, you know, you've got quite a lot of history with so-and-so and and he looks like, yeah, we've never wrestled each other. (laughs) Now the benefit for me me was that that exchange was not happening on live television. Right. Right. So, so I was able to say, oh, clearly I'm thinking of that other guy that you wrestled three times already this season. He's like, yeah, it's that guy. Oh, right, right, right. I just literally read the, but but that's a brain fart. That's different though. That's, that's a brain fart. This this question of Kudo was like, I clearly just saw something and like figured here's my point. If you're gonna ask somebody about his quote unquote sloppy play, you better make damn sure that you're you're asking the right yeah. question to the right dude. You know that, what I mean? That's the thing, because you're taking a shot at that guy, right? Like exactly. you're, you're you're essentially saying, Hey, why do you suck so bad? Like or right. you know, that, I mean, that was the right <laughs> that's the impetus because you're asking about sloppy play. And that's and, a, look, if somebody if somebody is holding a lot and committing pass interferences, totally fair question to ask. Fair game. I yeah. don't have a problem with the question. I have a problem with asking the question to the complete wrong ass dude. <laughs> like, make sure that the guy you're talking to actually is guilty of the crimes you have accused him of um because otherwise you're just gonna look silly and if if you're gonna come at the king you better not miss right and the other thing is the nfl you know the nfl's putting out stuff like talking about how jeff you know could have responded to it and everybody's kind of dunking on this dude who is still anonymous as far as i know i don't think we know who the guy is which you know is probably good for him because i'm sure people would just be you know constantly just ragging on this guy that's the um, thing that amazes me, actually. Like, there must be some sort of, you know, Sicilian code of honor. Among... I was about to say, there's so America going on. Because <laughs> yes. like, nope, yes. nope, yeah. they just know, like, I could be the dumbass next time, right? So right. I'm, I'm not going to shank my... It must be that that reporter is well-liked, too, because you also know on the flip side of that that everybody's got somebody they want to shank when the time comes. And That's so right. That, this 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 dude must be living right otherwise because nobody was willing to to just sharpen their shiv and get one in him. <laughs> well, I can reveal for the first time on the Eleven Dubcast that it was actually Dan Hope of Eleven Morton. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It wasn't Dan, and Dan apparently doesn't know either. So it's it's just it's a mystery. It's just a total mystery, and I guess we'll never find out. And that that person will never ask another question again ever. Um, so, you know, and, and and if that's the case, mission accomplished. Um, so let's let's get into Ask Us Anything. But before we do that, I want to remind you that you can uh, help support the 11 Dubcast and 11 Warriors by checking out our dry goods store, uh, drygoods.11warriors.com, shirts, hats, stickers, and more at drygoods.11warriors.com. And you can send these questions to Ask Us Anything to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast 
on Twitter. Let's uh, let's start with our good friend Alvin here. Alvin has a very simple question. It's one that I think we're a little bit we're a little bit familiar with, but it's one maybe we haven't elaborated on too much. And he just wants to know what is the best on campus dining experience? Maybe not food, but dining experience that we have ever had. So ambience, you know, yeah, atmosphere, whatever you want to call it. What's the best experience that we've had? I, so I got to say, when when we get questions like this, I always I always struggle for a minute because I go back into my way back machine and I think, you know, and I'm now at the stage where it's been 20 years since I was an undergraduate and yeah. campus, you know, that, that line in the alma mater about time and change, <laughs> man, if there is ever a college campus that embraces that it's Ohio state because the, right. you know, the campus as, as I knew it, you know, it's changed dramatically over the past 20 years. So a lot of the things in places that I liked as an undergrad aren't, you know, aren't there anymore or, or are different. Um, or so don't, I, the thing that leaps to mind uh, is the time I went with my roommate, Matt, and we went to um, the Buffalo Wild Wings or BW3s, whichever we called it, B-dubs is, of course, what we called it. But I don't remember what it was actually called at that time. But it was in this little hole in the wall, kind of across the street in Caddy Corner from the current B-dubs at the corner of Lane and High. Right. And, I mean, it was a dark, dank hole where you just went in and drank beer and ate chicken wings. And Matt and I went in one time and ordered, like, I'm going to say 50 um, traditional wings with, you know, like hot, you know, one of the hotter sauces. And, you know, the two of us just plowed through those things. And I thought to myself, you know, if I had to sit down and eat 25 or 30 wings today, <laughs> I, I probably could do it. I probably could, <laughs> but I may want to die later. Right. But I look back now, 20 some years, well, not 20 some, but, but approaching 20 years later with fondness about the time that Matt and I went and ate, you know, literally dozens of very hot B-dubs chicken wings as undergraduates just because we were hungry. Yeah. And it was, and it was great. And I think that's know, a fine dining experience. I that agree. Was that's yeah. That it, it's it was a dark hole. It wasn't that corporatized, you know, B-dubs now it's the big corporate, you know, kind sure, of yeah. chain like, thing. This was, you know, at, at that time it was still a bar, a hole right. in the wall bar and the wings were good and the beer was cold and I was a happy man. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's that's what you need sometimes, right? When you're an undergrad, you're kind of like, all right, we just we got to get some food. Let's do this. And I, I will say I had a number of experiences on campus in that you know type of situation where I was like, oh, my gosh, I need PJs right now. Like, I got to go to PJs. And then I would have something from PJs and go, OK, now I now I'm a human being again. I can function in society or <laughs> number one Chinese restaurant, which does not exist anymore and probably should not have existed while I was there. <laughs> Later did get shut down, I believe, for health violations. But I do remember them giving me literally like five pounds of sweet and sour chicken because I ordered as they were closing and they said, we got leftovers, here you go. And I was like, all right. And everybody in like the floor just ate for free. So it was awesome. Um, you know, stuff like that happens a lot. I will say... I think it's still there. I'm not sure if it's still there, but my, my wife and I, um, you know, we went to a concert uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, at the Newport and it was great. We, uh, we saw St. Motel, fun as hell concert. One of my favorites of all time. We went to Apollo's great place to go. Love getting uh, euros from there. But I yeah. will say if I want like a nice kind of classy actual dining experience, this is one that I didn't try out. I don't think until I was a senior or even in grad school, I can't remember. Um, but Moy's, which is right next to Buckeye Donuts, is the friendliest, nicest Chinese place I've ever been to. You sit down, they treat you like family. The food is incredible. It's authentic. Uh, I, for someone, I, I am like kicking myself. I kicked myself after. I was like, I can't believe that I took so long to check this place out because it is really like, you know, if you're feeling a little homesick, you need a little bit of companionship and, you know, tender love and care. That is a nice place to go and sit down and just chill. And I loved every second of that. That was that was fun as hell. So I don't I think Moyes is still still uh, up in action. But um, uh, that was something that I really needed, you know, much like yeah. you might have needed 30, you know, hot wings. You know, <laughs> like, you, the, the place you've got me thinking of now. Um, that I didn't go to until, so there was a period of time in my, my radio career where my offices were in the Fawcett center. And yeah. so this place that I, I found and loved that is no longer there anymore was called Sushi Ting. And it was in the shopping center where 
Kroger and the, there used to be a country bar called Nios. And I think there was an odd lots. Yeah, there was an odd lots there. It was like the Kroger was on one end and odd lots was on the other, right in front of Buckeye village. And this little, I mean, you wouldn't expect to find great sushi on Olentangy river road in the odd lot shopping center, right? Like that's not a place <laughs> I'm here to tell you. It was fantastic. I would go there for lunch quite frequently and sit at the counter and the owner um, was, was the head chef there. Of course, it was kind of this little, um, he and his wife owned this, this joint and the sushi was always impeccable, you know, super fresh, um, and just, you know, beautifully crafted, fantastic rolls. And, and I'm really sad. I, you know, it closed down, I don't know, probably three years ago, four years ago. And so we're, you know, it's been five or six since I've even been there, but I just look back with fondness, fantastic place, go in there and sit at the bar and just talk to the chef. Great, great experience. Love it. Wish it was still there. Can I ask you this? This is, this is kind of a tangential question, I guess, to what, um, uh, Alvin asked, but what about campus, uh, that is not there anymore? do you miss? So if you were, if let's say you were going back to Ohio state, you're like, okay, I'm going to be a student again and get another degree, whatever. Do you, are you aware of anything specific on campus that is no longer there that you'd be like, God, I wish they still had that. Well, I, I don't know if I'd say I wish they still had, but the thing that always tugs at my heartstrings is my dorm is gone. So I, I lived in Scott house <laughs> on North campus. And at that time, Scott house was the, the ag dorm. It was the, I think they, they had um, Norton, Norton and Scott house, um, we're both uh, ag dorms, and for the most part, we're all ag majors with a handful of folks who weren't, but for whatever reason, um, you know, either wanted to be roommates with people who lived in one of those dorms or whatnot, but they were just, um, it was a great community. The buildings, you know, they were, they were dorms. They were old school dorms, nothing special, not these high-end, you know, kind of luxury palaces that the, the students live in now. Um, but I drove past there one day, it was right on, you know, Woodruff Avenue, Woody Hayes Drive. And I looked, I'm like, oh, there's a large hole in the ground where my dorm used to be. <laughs> yeah. And so there is a Scott house there now, but it is, you know, a large high rise, you know, modern arms race of college residences, uh, where before, you know, it was like three, four levels of, you know, typical, college dorm. So I, you know, that makes me a little sad. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that the university continues to grow and advance and evolve and all that sort of thing. But for me personally, you know, when I drive down Woodruff and that, that room, uh, that building that was so important to me in the early years of my Ohio state um, life, you know, I shed a little tear. It's uh, it's kind of sad. What about you? That's fair. You know, like there are things, I'll, there are a couple things where I, I also miss and I will tell you, so I had a incredibly brief stint as a uh, Ohio State like radio DJ. Um, I think I did like maybe three or four episodes of, of you know, <laughs> of something. And I look as, as crappy as the old union was. Oh, I love the basement. Yeah. Like the griminess of it. And I love that, like, you know, you're operating a radio station out of a closet basically. And you could see the old bowling lanes that weren't in, you know, function anymore, but they're still kind of there. And it was just kind of a hangout spot for people. I don't, I don't know why I missed that. It feels like a really like kind of rundown. It felt like a rundown eighties, nineties, like shopping mall, right. That nobody actually went to anymore, but something about it just, I, I felt, it felt cozy to me. And now, I mean, look, the union is an amazing, awesome, you know, piece of, uh, of real estate and architecture. It's amazing, but just something about the old stuff. I don't, I don't know why it appealed to me so much. Um, but it was, I don't know. It, it just felt familiar. Like you had the, you know, you had this computer chaos that like, had the yellowed, uh, plexiglass over the top of them. It was just janky as hell. Yeah. Um, but I liked it. I don't know. I, it just, it appealed to me. I enjoyed that. Um, the I we're getting play. old friend. I know. Well, and all like they had, you know, you would have random like volleyball courts and stuff scattered around North campus. And I think they still have things like that, but just, I don't know, for whatever reason, the grunginess kind of appealed to me and we would go out. I lived in Haverfield and we would go out my freshman year and just kind of screw around and do whatever there. And it just kind of felt like, I don't know, like an extension of a playground, you know, for little kids where you're just kind of like, okay, we're college kids. We're going to screw around, whatever. It didn't, it didn't feel like you had to take care of it necessarily because everybody knew it was kind of run down. And there's just a certain charm to that. I will say, however, that one thing that I 
from the older campus that I absolutely do not miss. And I'm glad is roasting in hell right now is Larkins hall. That was, that place was just an absolute death trap filled with tetanus and God knows what else. Dungeon uh, and of they, dungeons. Oh my God. It was awful. And when they replaced it with the R pack, it was like, you know, manna from heaven. I, I could not believe that building. So that is, that is one change that I'm actually pretty, I was pretty stoked about. So anyway, that's, that's ask us anything. Keep sending those in. We love answering them. We love talking about them. We're going to keep an eye, obviously, on um, you know high state men's basketball and where their March Madness seating is going to be and, and what the committee is going to be looking at. We'll obviously be talking next time about how the Big Ten tournament and wrestling went. Um, and honestly, like we've got some. We're going to have to start talking about the draft a little bit. We're going to have to get into that and see what those mocks look like. I, I try to avoid them as long as I possibly can. But I, I think we'll see some interesting drama happen with Chase Young and, and what that'll look like. So I'm excited for that. Um, how do you how do you feel? Real quick before we leave, I, another question for you, Andy. Do you follow? Like, do you get into the mocks? Is that your thing? Yeah, I don't dive into it. I'm more so the last couple of years that I've been playing fantasy football. It's funny how fantasy football has, I guess, evolved or devolved my. My, my NFL fandom. Um, right. So I, I follow the mocks in as much because I'm curious to see, you know, who will the Steelers draft? And then and then more importantly um, for me is to see where Ohio State guys go. So I tend to follow it in that in that vein. Um, so where Chase Young is going, I've been more interested in the Joe Burrow story this year that, you know, like a lot of us, I suppose. Uh, and, and so I find that kind of discussion interesting you know do you do you draft young do you draft burrow and and where you know who picks where who trades down or trades up to get this guy or that guy i I do find that interesting i suppose it's the kind of the political horse race of it that i find interesting more so than you know in, in anything more specific than that but uh yeah i'm i'm kind of ready to dive into this one yeah, we'll see how it goes. And, you know, hopefully Jeff Kuda can make some bank too. So, well, I'm now following. I mean, and you've got me turned on now to, um, you know, punter Michael Turk. Uh, I had to look this up after you referenced it. You know, oh, homeboy, yeah. homeboy checks in at 226 pounds and <laughs> reps and reps 225 for 25 reps. But I mean, dudes, dudes repping out body weight bench press. You know, I mean, I realize that's a, that's a strength benchmark that we should all, you know, uh, aspire towards body weight bench press, but dudes repping out 25 reps, uh, at his boy. body weight. I mean, I'm my hats off to you, Mr. Turk. And, and, uh, I hope that you find a happy home in the NFL. And more importantly, I hope that you can actually kick as well as you bench. Hey, you know, I mean, other, it's either punting or, or being a linebacker. You can do either or, so it's fine. Um, but we will discuss all of that next time. And until then I am Johnny, I'm Andy. And we'll see you then.